Hey, listeners, this is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas, on an almost March day, March 10th, 2021. Freaking daylight savings time is going to start on the weekend. I hate time change. I hate somebody telling me, you must change your schedule by an hour. Um, but otherwise, it's, it's pretty nice. It's windy, windy, windy. It's a good day to be here in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, it'll be lovely to have some little times outside. This puppy that we have in our household that we call Rainbow is growing ginormously fast and he's only a Springer Spaniel. And so everybody who meets him said, you know, he's going to get a lot bigger than he is. And he's, he'll be nine months old on Friday. <laughs> that cracks me up. He is, he's a, an amazing little, little big dog. <laughs> anyway, this is the small talk episode of, of Talk With Me today, and, and you'll get why I said that in just a minute. I'm always delighted to do these shows. My work, my social work is freaking intense, and it's who I am and what I choose. And I love doing podcasts and talking to people about their art. So today I get to talk to uh, a friend, incredible writer, very prolific writer, who's writing and writing and writing during this pandemic, books coming out and out and out and out. And this, this is my friend, John E. Hamras, coming to us from Pennsylvania. Hey, John, how are you? I'm fine. This is, as <laughs> always, wonderful to get to talk to you. What is this, our fourth, fifth time together? I don't keep track. I just know it's always fun when we get to do it. <laughs> It, it, it really is. I always yeah. look forward to talking with you. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because sometimes I go back and track, well, how did I connect with so-and-so? And, and, and one of the people that is, was a connecting point way back, um, probably in 2014, was a man named um, Jameson Bales, who was a poet. I say was because he's totally dropped out of, I, I don't know how to even find him anymore. He, he was writing poetry and he was also doing some things to kind of promote appearances by other poets in the Kansas City, Midwest area. And so I, I'm kind of thinking maybe somehow was, was Jameson how we first connected? John, do you remember? Yes, it was. And I, and I forgot about him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he would send me little poems, little things, and he also encouraged and helped. It's funny how during the course of a career, all the people who help you out along the way. Uh-huh. And, you know, you, you get to appreciate that. Yeah, the ones who help you out, and then you get to also have those ones who are really a major pain and disruption. <laughs> I'm speaking very personally there, John. <laughs> Not about you, but yeah, about but my it, social work. <laughs> oh, okay, thanks. No, no, I feel better. But, you know, everything's got a purpose. Everything's got a purpose. That, that gets back to what I used to say about, you know, aspiring writers, and they always complain about all the obstacles that are put in their way. And uh, uh -huh. I, I, I always say that obstacles are put in our way to, to weed out the unwilling. Uh, <laughs> there you go. I always wanted to be willing. 
we have so much to talk about. And then there's this part of me that wants to totally keep this conversation all light. And that's in honor of the title of your very newest published work, Small Talk. <laughs> it's such an irony for you to have something called Small Talk. <laughs> because when I think about Small Talk, I think about things like back in the day when my husband worked for the Kansas City Star, the the newspaper in Kansas City. And we would go to these horrible, huge Christmas parties with people who worked for the star. And it's like, oh my God, I do not know how to have these superficial conversations. Oh God, that's the worst, that's the worst. Years and years ago, I was invited. I'll, I'll try to keep this so it's not specific, but I was invited to a New Year's Eve party by a, a an attorney, and it was going to be, I I guess I figured out eventually that I was going to be the entertainment, you know, the uh, <laughs> I don't know soap on a rope. They were going to pull me up anytime they needed somebody to come up with something interesting or or out of the ordinary. But um, God, the, the, the things you come across and do over the course of a career. <laughs> and, and I've had my share. I've, I've had, as you well know, a long, long career. And I use career in quotes. Uh, and, and which leads me to, to this book, Small Talk. I, I guess that's why I talked about that New Year's Eve thing. I couldn't figure out why I went off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's small talk. It, I I may be prolific, and somebody also called me that the other day. Of course, I've been called other names over the course of my career. <laughs> uh, I I guess I'll accept prolific. Yeah. Um, but small talk. As I've gotten older with my writing, I I've figured out, or at least decided that I I don't want to make any big pronouncements or tell any big stories with my work I want to get more and more get the reader involved and, and small talk as it kind of implies is a, a, a give and take in a conversation just back and forth and with this book I wanted to present the reader with pictures ideas where they can kind of fill in the blocks and you and I talked about this in, in my last visit with you. And I, I see poems as being snapshots taken out the window of a speeding train. You see just what's in that little, you know, 12 inch by 12 inch square. But there's so much going on outside the picture frame, as it were. And what I'm trying to do with this book is get people to fill in those empty spaces outside the frame kind of an interactive type of poetry mm -hmm. and and as you say that i'm wondering about the poems that you included in this collection what's the time span about of when those poems were written oh Recent, recent, recent. I've, I've okay. never been a big saver. I'm not one of those guys who saved something from 30 years ago, thinking that maybe I'll get back to work on it because it's not quite complete. Uh -huh. uh, 
if if I write something, it better be good real quick. Otherwise, I I, I throw it out. My <laughs> wife's always, no, it's seriously, my wife's always yelling at me because I never save anything. She'll look at my phone and she'll say, where are your old emails? And I, I delete them. I delete everything. And that's the way it is with my poems. If they don't work out, I don't save them. And I don't have a stack of unpublished poems with me at any given time hmm. going back beyond my most recent book. Everything for me, it's interesting. In my life, my writing life, everything is moving forward with the exception of my subjects. You know, that's always looking back over my shoulder. And, and in my emotional life, where, when it comes to movies and music, that's always looking backward. Um, you know, I, I love the classic novels. I love the classic music. Not necessarily classical, although I appreciate classical, but I mean classic in terms of like, uh, you know, Miles Davis or Howlin' Wolf or Little Richard. Uh, the older stuff. I, I like the older stuff. So I feel I'm I'm a bit of an odd mix. I'm always looking back over my shoulder, but what, moving forward. So mm -hmm. I guess every now and then you you trip over a rock or a dead body or something. <laughs> and there are some of those in this book. <laughs> There, there, there are. It's, it's kind of like my own little film noir book. Uh -huh. um, uh, if, if you look at the cover, the, the cover is designed by um, Eileen Murphy. Is a wet, slick, rainy, shadowy nighttime image of a guy standing on a corner in the fog, looking up at the streetlight, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I wanted that to evoke a feeling of what the book is about, you know, just snippets of conversation of, of thought and ideas. And you know me, I love the Wakefield poem. <laughs> you know, that Wakefield prize has developed a, uh, a, a bit of life of, on its own. And for anybody who hasn't heard about the Wakefield Prize, like, should I back up and fill people in? I love that story. You know, I always love to hear it. <laughs> the Wakefield Prize goes back, oh God, 50 years, 50 years ago, back to when I was a young aspiring writer with my best friend who was also an aspiring writer. And at that stage in people's lives, it's tough to get your foot in the door. And we were belly aching about how tough it was to get started because every time we'd write to someplace, they'd ask what awards we've won and where have we been published? And well, Rick and I were bitching about what was going on. And one night after, after we reached the bottom of a uh, bottle of pop-off vodka, I, I don't know if they still sell pop-off vodka, but I, I think it was about 85 cents for three gallons. And uh, it would burn a hole through a, a strong wooden desk if you poured it on it. Um, 
And Rick and I reached the bottom of our bottle of pop-pop vodka and we're standing on a street corner. It had to be two o'clock in the morning. And it was the corner of Oliver and Wakefield streets. And he looked up at the sign. He looked up at the bottle of vodka and he handed me the bottle and said, I hereby award you the Wakefield prize. And uh, the next morning, swear to God, honest to God, it's true. I rode off to a, at the time, well-known poetry magazine saying I've recently been awarded the prestigious Wakefield Prize. I was, <laughs> I was hoping if you'd take a look at some of my work uh, and maybe publish it in your magazine. I sent the stuff off and continued with my day and my, my life. And a couple of weeks later, I, I got a, an envelope back in the mail, um, a letter from the editor of that magazine saying uh, to the effect, Dear Mr. Yamaris, uh, we heard about you recently winning the Wakefield Prize. Congratulations. <laughs> We'd like to, like to publish your work. And that's the true story of how I lied my way into, into a, a career. And right. with you and I talking about the Wakefield Prize, all, all these times, it's taken on a bit of a life of its own. Uh -huh. And in fact, uh, uh, I think the last time you talked, um, you nominated me for my second nomination for a Wake <laughs> 50 years apart, and I really appreciate it. But, uh, I, I'm still hoping that the monetary prize comes with it, but uh, I don't want to hold my breath. Yeah. All right. I love that. I love that. I'm going to move into small talk for a minute, and I'm meaning literal okay. small talk. So, so John, what do you do? And really, what I want to ask is what I've never—I don't think I've ever asked you. You and Kathy, you have a long life together, and I'm pretty sure that it's not only funded by your poetry. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> no offense to your poetry, but it's just like I don't, I don't know any poetry. I mean, any poets who only write and publish, and that's how they pay their bills. <laughs> uh oh, what happened? No, I'm uh, I'm here. I I thought you were going to continue. I was giving you yeah. space. It's oh, small thank you. <laughs> So what, what have you and Kathy done all these years in terms of um, professionally, career-wise, whatever? I'm just, I've, I've never heard that story from you. Oh, we, well, Kathy's got her own very, very success. She, she's a very well-respected businesswoman, a salesperson, yeah. actually. Yeah. And, and, and she and I, I tell this story. The first time I met her was probably 1970. And she was the best friend of a guy who was at the time my best friend. And a third person who drove a Volkswagen minibus that was all painted up. This is the late 60s, early 70s. And his Volkswagen bus was painted much like your logo with bright colors and uh -huh. tie-dyed and psychedelic stuff and he pulled me up to to my other friend's house and I ran up the steps and knocked on the door to get my friend to come out and go for a car ride with us and Kathy answered the door 
and I backed up and stupid me, I fell down the steps. <laughs> oh, no. So literally the day I met her, I fell for her. <laughs> and I, I swear to God, I went back in the car after I was told that um, my buddy wasn't home. I got back in the car and said to my friend, Joe, I'm going to marry that girl. Wow. And Kathy doesn't believe it. She, she, you know, you hear these stories all the time, but that's uh -huh. a true story. That's what I said. That's what I did. And I'm sticking to it. Oh, how sweet. Wow. 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 That's, that's great. I've got a interesting new publisher uh-huh Heath Brocker uh -huh. concrete mist press uh-huh um how small talk came about was I was looking for a publisher with COVID and all this crap that's going on I was at the time looking for a new publisher and Heath wanted to bring out small talk he, he very much liked the manuscript for small talk. Um, but he said to me, he likes my book, Bark, so much that he would bump up small talk in his schedule if I would just consider, and this really gave me a, a big ego. He said, if I would just consider writing another book about dogs. Uh -huh. And what that consideration turned into was the book just before this, uh -huh. Five Dogs. And um, that book got written in about two weeks. Um, it was just a, a book, a little slim little love letter to the uh, five dogs I've had in my life over the years. And uh, I really liked that book. There's pictures of the yeah. five dogs. Uh, it, it would have been easy to go for the uh, pulling the heartstrings and telling the sad stories about dogs because with dogs we all know how those stories end. But uh, I wanted to tell the happy sides of those five dogs. <laughs> you know how crazy dogs are. Yes, I live with a dog. I love a dog. <laughs> Normally at night I'll go upstairs to bed first because I I, I take my copy of Proust. I read Proust every day, pretty much like, huh. like some people read Bible. And I'll take my copy and I'll go upstairs and Stella, our dog, will come up with me and she'll lay down. Um, she, she lays down kind of in the middle of the bed, but that middle of the bed spreads out to all four corners. Usually. <laughs> <laughs> and Kathy will come up and she'll say, the first thing she'll do is say, Stella, move over. Stella looks at her and you could see her thinking. You, you could see Stella thinking as she moves over a quarter of an inch and moves a little closer to me. But uh, that's my pooch, Stella. Aww, that's very sweet. And if people buy five dogs, they get to see two lovely photos gracing the front and back cover of that book. Stella, that dog is 
I won't say she's world famous, but there are people around the world who have commented on what a a smart looking dog she is. Oh, so nice. I, I've had people send me uh, paintings and drawings and photographs and all sorts of art with Stella. In fact, dogs are really interesting. Years ago, um, one of the local newspapers sent a, uh, a reporter and a photographer to the house to do a feature on me. And uh, that reporter and that photographer were at the house maybe an hour and a half, and they spent an hour and 20 minutes taking pictures at, of the dog and playing with the dog. And I was kind of like, Sweet. you know, you're here to talk about me, aren't you? <laughs> That's funny, and I don't I, I don't know how they did how they how those photographers positioned themselves. But I was uh, I was nominated for a, a local award for my social work, and a photographer was sent over to do this picture for the article, and I I must have said you know well because at that time we had our as I call him my soul dog our bow English. Springer Spaniel and and so I said well, how about how about me and Bo on the front porch we live in this Victorian house and 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 so um, the picture I was sitting on the floor of the front porch with Bo and the view is <clears throat> you kind of you see us and you see a house across the street and Nick Krug who is the photographer literally laid flat on his stomach in the hall our front hallway um, to be able to take the picture from the, the position that he wanted to. And I thought, man, oh man, I've got this poor guy on our dusty floor. <laughs> but it's a great picture. <laughs> you should have said, well, come through the kitchen and let's take some pictures out back and get the whole house in there. <laughs> good point. Good point. That would have been good. <laughs> The dog. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember your bow, and I remember how how tore up you. Oh yeah. We all are. We lose yeah. our our, yeah. our best friends like. Yeah, yeah. You got mail. Whoa. <laughs> now we're switching topics again. Yes, yes. That's the world bumping in on us. Yeah, all those alerts. So so small dog. Excuse me, five dogs. <laughs> including the big Stella, five dogs. You got that nudge from Heath Brocker for your publisher at Concrete Mist Press. Yep. You do that dog book and then small talk. And I know you've told me you've got a new book that's also going to come out this year, right? Another new book? We're, we're aiming for probably September-ish. Want to get it out around that time. It's going to be a look back at, at my work over the course of my writing career. Uh, it's gonna be a great big selected poems, um, kind of a, a, a best of, and I, I'm working with Heath and uh, the, the main day-to-day -day editor working with me is again, Eileen Murphy and she nice. and I work well together. Yeah, uh -huh. she and uh -huh. I work well together and I'm, I'm happy to be doing this with her uh -huh. uh, because I wanted an extra set of eyes on this book. I wanted somebody else to be picking the poems 
because very often as the, the, the creator of the work, you might not be seeing it the same way that the reader does. So right. Eileen is that second pair of eyes for me. And it, it's a lot of fun doing this work together with her. Mm -hmm. Cool. And this is all you guys are telecommuting, so to speak, because she's out somewhere in Florida and you're up somewhere in Pennsylvania. Where's he? Yeah. I don't even remember where he is. Actually, he is probably about 35 miles from here. Okay. I, I met him the first time, oh, seven, eight, nine years ago. He and I were both going to be interviewed on a, uh, in York, Pennsylvania, I think it was, local PBS TV show. And he and I met in what served as the TV show's green room. The station was a small station and, and their entire building looked like a three-quarter garage. And, and, and that's where I first met Heath and I'm, I'm glad I ran into him. A really nice guy. See, the fact that you and Heath get along, not get along, but connect so well, tells me, John, that you're a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> because I talked to Heath. I actually, you know, I, I, I thought you were going to say you're a lot smarter than you look, but don't. No, no, a lot smarter than I am. I, I didn't look back to see when it was that Heath and I recorded a podcast. It's been quite a while, but, but you know, I left that with, with the, the knowledge that this guy is super smart very um, intellectual, analytical, and, and has this poetry. And like, I'm not sure I'm smart enough to read it. <laughs> it yeah, his work me. is interesting and challenging. Uh, yeah. he's, he's the hardest. I thought I've had encounters with hardworking literary individuals before, but nobody works harder and supports the work harder than Heath Brocker. He's, wow. he's a good man to have on your side. Very good. Very good. Mm. That's, that's cool. So you yeah. guys met a long time ago. And what brought you back together in terms of, you know, him becoming the one who's published these two recent books of yours and, and one to come? I don't quite recall maybe i can make it up but, but <laughs> maybe maybe i was congratulating him on one of his books but uh one thing led to another and we developed this friendship and uh maybe that's when i learned or he told me that he was starting this press but uh i i'm, I'm glad we connected yeah have you two met in person Yes, I, I, I told you we met in that uh, TV studio. We oh, that's right. Met. That's right. That was physical. Yeah, I'm met. so used to everything being on technology now that I was I was still not catching that it was literally in the building, even though you described the building. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were in the building. Um, we were both on screens and the Zoom cameras on. The <laughs> yeah. Wait, people used to get together in the same room. <laughs> Uh, I, I didn't want to do these kind of, especially these video Zoom things. I didn't want to do that in the worst way. Uh, it, 
just because I'm uncomfortable, you know, talking, speaking, being on camera and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you learn to live with it. And you, yeah, you've done TV interviews and stuff. That I know I've seen film of you. I can't say I'm comfortable with it, but yeah. I've done a lot. Okay, yeah. okay. No, well, so, I, I prefer to be up in my bedroom sitting down or, or laying down and reading some Dickens. Uh-huh. Um, I'm, I'm like I said, I like looking back. Who I read a lot of old stuff. Um, I, I'm currently, I guess, one of the blessings of this COVID and being home and not going out in public is I have even more time to read. And I'm currently going through all of Dickens. And I love, my favorite Dickens book is probably one that most people don't consider a favorite. I love Little Dorrit. What a neat, I don't want to call it a little book because it's, I don't know, seven, 800 pages long. And I tend towards those bigger books, which is funny because all my books are so slim, but I tend towards those bigger books like Proust. Um, As you're aware, I've been reading him off and on my entire life since I was literally a teenager. And uh, he's one of those writers that is very difficult to gain access to but once you solve the mystery or at least open up the door he there's just so it's just so rich and i love people like that emil zola i read a lot of zola um there's reasons why those classics are classics well i'm gonna say again john you're a lot smarter than i am Oh my goodness. Yeah. I can't, I, I honestly, during the pandemic, I've hardly been able to read though. That's been a, one of those stress reminders for me is like, I don't have the concentration that I've often had. And that's sad when it comes to reading for enjoyment, as opposed to reading for work purposes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have the same concentration. I, you know, yeah. Um, I just turned 70. And um, I used to love playing, say, Miles Davis, a Miles Davis album while I was reading whatever I was reading. Uh-huh. And I can't, my mind can't let thing, two things go on at the same time anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe that's a, a con- one of the things associated with aging, but... Uh, uh, now I just got to either read or just listen to Miles Davis. And with regard to Davis, uh, I I read Cicely Tyson's really neat autobiography, the one that came out just a few days before she passed away. And she talked about Davis and she said that he's one of those type of performers that the second she hears him play his horn, she has to stop and listen till he's done. And and I really do feel that no matter what period of Davis's music I approach, I have to listen to him until the entire thing is done. Uh-huh. You know, and that's a good thing 
you know, it's a maturity in a good way, as opposed to, well, my age doesn't let my brain work. One of, one of the little tidbits of information that has stuck in my brain, one of those things, listening to NPR news at some point, I couldn't even tell you what year, driving from someplace to someplace, <clears throat> they're talking about people's concept of multitasking and how quite literally our brains do not multitask in that way. They go from one to another, they go back and forth, <clears throat> excuse me, and they may go back and forth pretty quickly, but they don't literally focus on two, our brains don't literally focus on two things at the same time. And then the, the person, the scientist who was talking about this compared it to the difference between biting into a prune, which would be if you were really multitasking um, compared to biting into a delicious juicy plum, which is when you really let yourself focus on one thing for a period of time. And I thought, man, yeah, I like, I like that. That's a powerful difference in terms of those two images. And, and that reminder that we deserve to slow down and pay attention you know, and so good for you for reading sometimes and listening to Miles or whomever sometimes. Those are both really good. Do you, do you watch a lot of old movies? Uh, not compared to most people. <laughs> I, I, I like to read, like when I, when, uh, before the pandemic, I would say, my favorite way to absorb any kind of art is reading and letting my brain develop the images as opposed to watching a lot of movies. Okay, reading. That's why I still prefer for, for music, for example, CDs, because with them, I could read the liner notes. And then if I'm, I'm researching or, or looking up a, a CD from say, okay, Howlin' Wolf, I could find out that he played with so-and-so back whenever. So I'll start looking up so-and-so and then that leads to another person and another person. And you can't find that if you're just looking online for one song or something. I, I, True, yeah. You know, maybe it's just a part of me being 70, but uh, uh, I'm a very a word-oriented type person. Mm -hmm. Speaking of being 70, <clears throat> insisted that the first poem in Small Talk, when he read the manuscript, he insisted that the first poem be my poem approaching 70. May I read that? That would be delightful. Okay, I will do that. This, I'm only going to read one poem today oh. uh, because I, I I enjoy so much more talking to you. <laughs> you you're more fun than anything I could write. <laughs> um, this is my poem. It's the first poem in the book, Small Talk. It's called Approaching 70. At this point in the game, I guess I'm supposed to be writing things like Sands at 70 or The End is Near or Ode to My Lost and Misspent Youth. But I get the feeling that I ain't done yet. 
not by a long shot. So give me what you got. Go ahead. I'm tough. I can take it. Go ahead. I double dog dare you. <laughs> Love that line. <laughs> That's great. So, so it was, did you say it was Heath who insisted that you have that be the first poem? Oh, very, very strongly. Okay. And, and uh, I'm known for taking great pride in arranging the poems in my books. Um, yeah, I, I learned from Wolf Karstens, who, who published a good number of my books, that mm -hmm. the, a book of poetry really needs to have an ebb and a flow and a story to it. And um, once he told me that, or suggested strongly, I won't say told me, uh, suggested strongly that he wanted Approaching 70 to be the first poem in the book, it gave me a direction to the manuscript, which was already done. And um, it was Eileen Murphy, the graphic artist who designed the concept for the, the look and feel of the book, who came up with, rather than for the back cover, rather than doing the usual photo of the author looking, you know, trying to look intelligent, <laughs> whatever, uh, and, and throwing in a bunch of blurbs from friends and, and colleagues. She put one of my poems from the book on the cover, and it's the only thing on the back cover, mm -hmm. and it's a very short poem, and mm -hmm. it's it's about my wife, and the poem says, "Yes, if you are the first of us to die, how will I ever laugh again?" Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I that poem kind of ties up my approach to my writing because, and I'm not going to brag. I I, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging about this, but some other writers might take that, I don't know, 15, 16 words and, and take that as a start for a poem. And I feel that the entire poem is right there and all the other layers that can be added are added by the reader. And that's mm -hmm. just so much more powerful than anything stupid mm -hmm. old me could make up and put on paper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that that poem and I was really touched by it and the the book for people who end up buying a copy of it will see that the book is dedicated to Kathy. And so, you know, seeing that book, excuse me, that poem was quite lovely. I, I want to just ask you, if, I know you said you weren't going to read too much, but but just for the fun of it, how about the, the poem on page 61? Okay, After the reading, a reporter for the student paper asked me what career I would take if I wasn't a writer. I looked at him. I looked at him and said, at this point in my life, I guess porn star is out of the question. <laughs> Poor kid. He looked at me. He didn't know what to say. 
We didn't know what to say and neither did I. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you, you can get that and appreciate they You know, what a nice, he was a reporter for the student newspaper and I, I wasn't taking a jab at the kid, but uh, poetry and the whole approach to poetry should be fun. You know, mm -hmm. you take the work seriously, but you got to have fun at it. And, and I always wanted to have fun with my writings. And especially at this later part in my career, uh, at least the last 20 years, I've been having a heck of a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. That's great. Do you miss being in front of audiences? Like in-person audiences as, as opposed to through technology? A, cer a certain part of me does. Uh -huh. A certain part of me does, but I guess everybody who, who becomes a writer does so because you like that time being by yourself. Uh -huh. I know I do. Uh-huh. Uh, our local bookstore, uh, independent bookstore called the Raven Bookstore has been hosting some uh, author talks on technology on Crowdcast. And there was a recent one, um, I'm trying to think, uh, it was Trisha Lockwood. And I think, I feel bad because I wasn't familiar with the other person, but I think his name is Tommy, yeah, Tommy Pico. Anyway, they were talking and, and about, Trisha has a new book out and they were also talking about that difference between doing a conversation that's broadcast through technology versus literally being in the physical room with people and how much they're, um, they enjoy the, the interaction, you know, the, the things that happen as you see your audience responding and hear them, which you don't, you know, through most, most of the technology things, you're not hearing audience comments and, and applause in the way that you would if you were in front of a, of a room or seeing somebody's, you know, obviously being emotionally touched by something that you said. And, well, and how it's hard. Goes yeah. for that. It goes for that. It goes for music. And you, you make a good point. We, I never do a, a, a program set list when I'm doing a formal reading, when I'm okay. at a college or whatever. Um, I just kind of wing it because, as you say, I, I kind of look at the crowd and the way they're, they're reacting to what I'm doing. And uh -huh. it's, it's almost like a conversation, a back and forth, mm -hmm. give and take type thing. Yeah. So, so it, it, it can be fun, especially when they have pizza afterwards. <laughs> I did a, a an intense presentation yesterday with a staff of a, a counseling service in the Kansas City area that works largely with families, and they're in a an Hispanic neighborhood. And there's a the pandemic is is hard on everybody. But anyway, so so as I was preparing to present, I, I do a lot like what you said. I'm, I'm a lot of, of, you know, deciding really what I'm going to do spur of the moment based on things that are coming from the audience. And this was fortunate that although we were doing it through technology, um, I asked everybody to keep their uh, cameras and mics on and you know, to, to as much as possible, make it like we were in the, the room together. And, and where I'm headed is, so I, I gave a set of ground rules for this presentation, which is 
kind of a typical thing when you're talking about really sensitive subject and this was related to suicide. And so as, but my ground rules were things like participants will eat and drink and use the bathroom whenever needed. <laughs> and, you know, just like participants move their eyes away from the screen at least every 30 minutes, you know, <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I'm not trying to kill you by gluing you to a screen. I hate being glued to a screen. <laughs> and it went quite well, actually. But you're talking about, you know, winging it. And, and you and I have been around long enough that that we we know what we're doing yes we've prepared ourselves yes and that half the fun is winging it as we said just yeah yeah being responsive to the audience i, I was i was listening to the jazz station i was in the car the other day and i was listening to the jazz station and the host was a guy that had played with miles davis i don't know why uh -huh. i was Miles Davis, but he's a guy that played with him. And he talked about this recording that he was going to play on the radio. And he said, at one point, you'll hear that the whole song changes tempo. And he said, in the studio, Miles didn't give directions. He would just stop and look at you. Wow. And <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what to say. Uh -huh. I, I could talk about him forever. Yeah. Have you ever you know, done recording, uh, not recordings, um, readings where you had a musician with you? And I say that because... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I started out in the 60s and, and uh, I, I told you this story once before. Um, this was, I was just starting out. My first book came out. Uh, it was the sixties where everybody would do readings with the musician. Okay. And, and then there was the, the strict arts crowd where they would not do something with the musician. Uh -huh. And I walked into this open mic, um, thing with Kathy, who I was dating at the time. My friend Rick, who was a guitar player, he was going to play behind me. And uh, when it came time to do my 10 minutes at the open reading, Kathy sat down. Rick came up behind me and played his guitar. I did my 10 minutes with the guitar accompaniment. Uh -huh. And the snobby host actually came up with the best line ever. Uh, it was a cut at me, but it was still the best line ever as I was leaving the stage with Rick. He said, well, thank you, Peter, Paul, and Mary. <laughs> but yeah, they, wow. I, I used to do musical accompaniment. It's cool. Yeah, see, I thought about it because um, one, one of our recent Poets Laureate for Kansas is Kevin Rabus. And Kevin is a jazz musician as well as a poet um, and, and is a professor in an area college. And, and Kevin's best friend is a poet, um, Dennis Etzel Jr. And so Dennis and Kevin um, do some readings together and with some of the things that, like the, the event that I do each year on September 10th that I host, um, Kevin and Dennis have been 
uh, on together with music and poetry, you know, with, with Dennis, excuse me, yeah, with Dennis reading something while Kevin was playing. And, you know, and I think about another time when uh, a poet here, Mark Hennessy, um, was part of a, another year of that Word Save Lives. And, and this was great because he had this person with a stand-up bass who was playing the strings of the stand-up bass with, I don't even know what you call it, but it's the part of the inside of the piano that that hits, that makes the sound. So wow. Clint, Clint, is, Clint is not much taller than the stand-up bass with this odd thing in his hand that he's using to hit the strings. <laughs> and Mark's reading poetry. He's like, this is awesome performance. <laughs> and yeah. so I've seen lots of really, really interesting and good things together like that. Did you ever hear Jack Kerouac back in the late 50s recorded two albums with Steve Allen. Remember Steve Allen? I know the name. I don't really know what his, he's a comic. But... He was actually the, the first host of the uh, Tonight Show. Okay. And then he went on to have his own variety show and he was famous for having written literally thousands of songs, none of which anybody had ever heard of. But uh, Jack Kerouac recorded two albums with Steve Allen playing piano behind him, and they're really, really good. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. So the whole piano thing makes me think, I, I don't know why I know this, but I know that my mom loved this weird comedian named Tom Lehrer, who was like yeah. a nuclear physicist or something. But he he did these bizarre parody songs and played the piano, <laughs> and I'm yep. thinking I was must have been such a little kid, but somehow that that I remember that, and so I've gone to you know to the internet to listen to some of these songs and like they're horrifying. <laughs> Why would you let a little kid hear this? <laughs> poisoning pigeons in the park and different things. <laughs> you know, comedy back then was, with some of it was a whole lot more cerebral. Uh, you, you look at people like uh, Stiller and Mara, uh, people like that, and, and then really stand up by Mort Saul and, and Woody Allen very thought-provoking stand-up. Uh, I, I used to like those guys. And, and, and then I used to like the old Borscht Belt uh, uh, dialect comedians who probably couldn't have a career these days, but they used to do that dialect type humor. You used to slay me every Sunday watching Ed Sullivan. He always had some, some dialect in the poker. <laughs> I'm going to note that technology is getting a little bizarre here. I don't know what your screen looks like, but my screen is flashing. I, I see. <laughs> I see your end. Your end is flickering. The, the video on your end, my main screen is looking fine. Okay. But, uh, if you have any problems, feel free to tell me to get lost. <laughs> I thought it was your vampire protection coming out again. <laughs> well, 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 that too. So next time I'm going to have to send you a load of garlic. 
Oh my, oh my. So in fear that, that technology may totally fail us soon, um, I'm thinking we should wrap up. And so John, tell, I can't tell how the sound is gonna be at this point. I'm sorry about that. But. for getting a little glitchy as we're wrapping up and hopefully things that need to be clarified will be able to be clarified with the posts on social media so long to our listeners i know that you enjoyed this and it wouldn't be quite as much as john and i did but i know that you enjoyed it too and keep these books in mind from john yamras the most recent being small talk and another one to come and five dogs. And I'm just looking at my pile here, memory lane, all kinds of good stuff here. Thank you and so long.